0: Hi, this is Jim Walden. I'm senior pastor at First Baptist Church in Temple City, California, and this is our podcast. Thanks for joining us. In these challenging days, if you're looking for hope and encouragement, you found a good place. We hope God's word inspires you, speaks to your heart, and grows your faith. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, and it is so good to see you folks. I just, I, I, Sometimes I swear I live Sunday to Sunday, just looking forward to it. And we are just over one week away from finishing the book of Revelation. Can you believe that? Man, we got through Revelation quicker than we did Genesis, right? I think Genesis was like uh, three presidents ago or something like that. I don't I, I can't remember. It's been a long time. But today we come to chapter 21. And next week we're going to wrap up Revelation 22. That's on October 10. On October 17. Oh, we got to let the kids go, don't we? All right. Kids, you can go to Kids Zone right now. Thank you. So- I'm sorry for missing that. Kids, you can go with your leaders. Zach and uh, Becca and the others are heading out, so uh, you guys go right ahead. Go right ahead. Moms, dads, grandparents, guardians, thanks for bringing your children. Thank you so, so much. So glad they're here. So uh, next week on the 10th, we'll finish chapter 22. On the 17th, many have said, can you recap so we can kind of get a better idea of the timeline? So we're gonna do a turbo tour on the 17th of what I see as a layout of what John saw in Revelation. And then our final Sunday with you, which um, is really tough. Because, man, we love you. And Willie, you got to know, this congregation knows how to love a pastor and a wife. There was a small group that had a dinner Friday night for us. And the way you poured out, right, Deanna? What you said to us was so undeserved and I thought how many pastors have never had a church love on them like you have us. My goodness, thank you. And I will be praying for you every night. I'm leaving a part of my heart here. And, uh, but uh, I'm going to miss you. I mean, like Willie said, God has a dynamic plan. And I think a great platform, a great launch pad has been established here. And you're going to get a, a new launch director by the hand of God. And if this church just takes off even greater, nothing would thrill my soul more. Um, choir, what a privilege to sing with you guys week in and week out. And uh, every once in a while, sing with the worship team and whatever. Blah, blah, blah. I'm getting too emotional. So we're going to move on. Is that okay? Yes. Say it. Say move on. move on. Okay, we're moving on. This is part two, what's heaven like? Two weeks ago in Revelation 19, we saw really a first good glimpse of heaven, and we saw that two of the great attributes of heaven, if you remember, from two weeks ago, was gratitude and praise. Gratitude and praise. Today, I'd like to give you some snapshots out of Revelation 21. Uh, Every weekend, Deanna and I have been going through junk. How many of you have junk in your house? Uh huh. How many of you have way too much junk in your house? Yep. How many of you have someone good in your family that knows how to throw junk out? I do. Her name's Deanna, and I'm just thrilled I'm still around. I tell you what, I could have been tossed a <laughs> long time ago. A week or two ago, we went through eight bins of snapshots, eight bins of photo albums, frame photos, pictures with negatives. Anybody remember what negatives are? Yeah. And we reduced eight down to one bin. We threw away frames and kept a lot of pictures, and so that really helped. Well, today, it's like John is going to show us what I think are 11 quick snapshots to give us hope for what's waiting for us in heaven. Isn't that great? In Sunday school one day, the kids had some extra time, and the teacher said, well, why don't you draw uh, a picture of whatever you want? And she walked around looking at all the girls, and little Sarah was sitting there, and Sarah was drawing a man and something glorious behind him. And the teacher said, Sarah, what are you drawing? She said, I'm drawing Jesus in heaven. She said, well, Sarah, nobody knows what Jesus in heaven looks like. She said, they will when I'm done. <laughs> now, I don't know how good of a snapshot you're going to get of heaven, but I want to turbo through about 11 snapshots and then talk about a very important word. You know, each week I like to give you a key word to keep in the back burner of your mind to help tie the whole chapter together. And the key word that we'll talk about later is this. And it's a question. It's, are you consecrated? Are you consecrated? You may not know what that is. We'll talk about it in a moment. But I believe it's what God wants for us besides just the forgiveness of sins. Because everything in heaven is consecrated. The Lord has gone to set up a place right now. I believe the Lord created the heavens and the earth in six days. And now Jesus has been gone 2,000 years. If he could do this in six days... What's heaven look like? Well, let's look at it. Revelation 21.1, John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. This is what Jesus talked about in John 14 when he said to you and to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. What's a good word for today, isn't it? Trust in God, trust also in me because in my father's house, are many rooms, some say mansions, some say dwellings. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I'm going there, why? To prepare a place for you, to consecrate a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, here's a great Arnold Schwarzenegger promise. I'll be back to take you to be with me that where I am, you may be also. So he's got a consecrated place he's getting set for us. And it's called the Holy City. It's also called the New Jerusalem. Coming down out of heaven from God. Look at this. Prepared as a what? Is there anything more moving than when you see a gorgeous bride walk down an aisle? I'll never forget that day almost 28 years ago when the back doors of a church opened and here came Deanna with her dad. And she was decked out. She was fine, man. And it was like time stood still. I'm not kidding. It was like time stood still, and the Lord whispered it into me. You see how excited you are about her? Wait until you see how excited I am about the church with me. Beautifully dressed for her husband. What are we compared to? Gang, God calls you and me a beautiful bride. I don't know if you've ever been called beautiful. I haven't. Maybe I'm glad, I guess. I don't want to be pretty. Many of you have been called many things. In God's eyes, you're part of a beautiful bride dressed for Jesus. Verse 3, and I heard a loud voice. In other words, don't miss it. A loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men. He will live with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them. And be their God. So let's take a look at the quick snapshots of what I think John lays out in here. The first snapshot I just absolutely love. In heaven, there's no more tears. How about that? Hey, by the way, if you like it, say yay or amen or something. No tears. Is that wonderful? He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more what? Because that's probably what causes the most tears, right? No mourning. Crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. God promised this in Psalm 56, where in the New American standard, David wrote, "You' take an account of my wanderings, you put my tears in a bottle. Do you know the Jews used to have a leather-bound bottle that when a loved one would die, they would cry and catch the tears in that bottle and place that bottle at a special spot." Some scholars believe that what God is going to do when you and I get to heaven, he's going to sit us down, he's going to pull out a leather-bound bottle, and he's going to show you every tear that you cried over that person, that moment, and he's going to wipe them away. Isn't that wonderful? Psalm says, you've rescued my soul from death, my eyes from what? Tears. My feet from stumbling. It goes on in verse five. That's the first one, no tears. No tears. Number two, he who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. How many of you have been let down by someone with a promise they promised and didn't follow through on? We all have, haven't we? Second thing in heaven, another snapshot is, we're gonna hear him teach and speak about his word for all of eternity. You folks have been so gracious. Many of you have said how much the teaching ministry of this church with various people, including myself, has meant to you and what the sermons have meant. Listen, when I get to heaven, God is going to pat me on the shoulder and say, good try, Jimmy. Now sit down. And I can't wait to sit before the throne and shut up and listen for the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to start talking. I want to hear those three. It's going to blow our minds. Why? Because heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will remain, how long? Forever. He goes on to say, he said to me, it's done on the alpha and the omega. What's that? The first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. In in Hebrew alphabet, it's aleph and tau. He's the starting point and the ending point. Number three, we're going to realize he's all we desire. He is all we desire from the moment we were conceived to the moment we'll be in heaven. He's going to say, I'm making everything new. It's all done, and it's all about me. You're going to see Jesus like you've never seen him before. And then he goes on, number four, to say this. To him who's thirsty, I will give to drink, how? Without cost, from the spring of the water of what? He's going to quench our thirst, and here's what I think I just love the most. Everything is free. I don't think this side heard it. I'll go over again. Everything's free. That was pretty good. Everything is free. Yeah, man. No more cost. No more pulling out your wallet. No more, can I afford this, or how much debt do I have in my credit card, or what's this going to cost? Everything is free. And you don't have to listen to me preach. How's that? You can listen to him. It's all free. Then he goes on to say this, another snapshot. He who overcomes will inherit all this. We're gonna finally gain our inheritance. How many of you wish you had a really rich uncle? Can I see your hands? How many of you wish you had a monster inheritance? How many of you wish you could win the lottery? Come on, just be honest with me, right? You are going to have an inheritance beyond your wildest imagination. You're going to receive it. It says, the one who overcomes will receive the inheritance. It might make you say, well, who overcomes? Let's see what John wrote earlier. John wrote Revelation. In 1 John 5, John says, who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is what? The Son of God. That you place all your faith that Jesus is really the Son of God. He died for you. He rose from the dead. He's coming back. That's who overcomes. Look what Peter wrote about this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into, say, a church, an inheritance that can never what? Perish, spoil, or fade, or get ripped off. And it's kept where? In heaven for you. Are you looking forward to your inheritance? Or are you gripping the things of this earth so much that it's tough to let go of this earth? Years ago, there was a massive snowstorm well north in America, and there was an eagle flying over. And as the snow began to melt, the river ice began to break, and the eagle spied from about a mile up. A young lamb that had wandered away from the shepherd. And it looks like the lamb wandered out on the stream to get a drink. And the ice broke away. And the lamb was floating down river. Pretty soon the eagle watched the lamb collapse and stop breathing. The eagle looked way down the river and there was a massive waterfall about a mile away, and the eagle thought, With my glorious wings, I'll swoop down and land in that ice. I'll gorge myself on the flesh of the lamb. And at the last second, I'll spread my wings and lift off. So he landed and gorged himself on the carcass of that lamb. And pretty soon, the eagle not only saw but heard the rush of the waterfall. And right as it was to go over the edge, he lifted his mighty wings and flapped, but he went nowhere because he was on the ice so long, his feet froze to the ice. And over the edge, he went and died. I wonder, what is it in our life that we hold on to so intently that if God were to say, let go, maybe we're frozen to it? He goes on to say, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed, Peter says, when? You're going to get your inheritance in the last time. Let's go back to Revelation 21 and catch a few more snapshots. I'll be his God, and he will be my son. Now, does that leave the women out? No, because what are we called at the beginning? The bride of Christ. But it's just talking about the inheritance of a child of God. And it's talking about the importance of consecrated lives. Why is it important to be consecrated As we'll wrap up together and explain a little bit more. Look at verse eight. But the cowardly, may I just say it? It takes guts to follow Jesus. It is not for wimps. The unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Why? Because everything in heaven is consecrated for God. Go on with me to verse nine. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the last seven plagues came to me and said, come, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, like we saw at the beginning of the chapter, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance. Look at these snapshots. It was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. And it had a mega high wall, a great high wall, with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. Here's snapshot number six. It is going to be safe in heaven because there are angels at each entrance. You know, one of the great cries we hear around America today is, be safe. You know where you're ultimately going to be safe? in the arms of God in heaven. And you can be sure you can be saved because mighty angels, when you show up there, are gonna be at each gate. And look at this. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. These were Jacob's 12 sons that we saw as we went through the book of Genesis together. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. I got a question for you. Have you ever thought about which gate you're gonna enter through? You're gonna enter through one of them there's twelve gates, three on the east, three on the west, three on the north, three on the south. So why did you say there's names on the gates? Well, let me review just real quickly. You, you spend your own time doing this, but here's the twelve uh, sons of Jacob. And name in the Bible always means character. It always means the nature of someone, right? I mean, we worship Jesus. Why? Because Jesus means He what? Saves. That's his nature. That's what he does. Firstborn was is Reuben, which meant see, I've had a son. Next is Simeon, which means heard, like God heard me. The third one is Levi, where the priests came from, because why? God wants to be attached. to God wants to be attached to you. God wants you to learn to praise him. God will be your judge. You're gonna wrestle with God like Israel did, but you're gonna have a fortune from God. He'll make you happy. He'll give you a reward. He'll exalt you. He'll add to your light, life, and you'll be at his right hand. I often wonder if we're gonna enter through the gate that has something to do with the character of what God was working on in my and your life. Maybe he's gonna say, I was working on you to learn to be a better praiser of my name. Come on in. Or I wrestled with you and you wrestled with me, but we've overcome, come on in. Or I wanted you to be closer and closer, attached to me, consecrated to me. I won't spend much more time because we just don't have time and you guys would like to eat lunch today, Right? So we're going to move on. And there were three gates on the east, north, south, and the west. And the wall of the city, besides the 12 gates, had 12 foundations. And on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So this is Peter, Simon, Andrew, James, John, Bartholomew. The 12 disciples, they're all listed that there are 12 foundations. I don't know about you. One good strong foundation is nice, right? How many does heaven have? 12. Wow. Why are the foundations of the city mentioned here? I really believe it's a hint for us to go back and find out where else it is in scripture when Paul said, now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who's made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law and its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two making peace. Watch this. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to you who are near. Because through him we have both access to the Father by one spirit. So consequently, you are no longer foreigners. You're not aliens. You're fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household, built on what? The foundation of the... Yeah, is the gospel message that they had. The gospel message is the foundation of heaven. Like Willie said earlier, church only has one message, to so get the gospel out and develop disciples. We're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself, as that rock, that chief cornerstone, in him the whole building is joined together, rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And here's the southern Greek, in him y'all too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. God is saying, we're built on the gospel. And God is saying, just as the apostles got the gospel out, So we need to get the gospel out. The apostles communicated the gospel to the known world. And gang, even after I'm gone, so should we. Because the gospel is the foundational message of the church. Y'all got that? The church is not about bingo. Okay? The church is not about politics. Although sometimes we might banter back and forth. The church is not about finances. The church is not about programs. Although we can use all of that. The church is about gospel. And what's gospel mean? You know it. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what the apostles were founded on. That's what we are founded on. And that's what we have to get out. Number seven real quick. We'll keep going. Another snapshot. The city's huge. Isn't that good? You may go, is there still room for me? It's huge. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square. It really should say a cube, gang. As long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length. And as wide and as high as it is long. My best calculation, I'm not a great mathematician. I think the city is 1,380 square miles. That's a big city. And you can't miss it because it's so beautiful. Beautiful. He measured its wall, and its cubic was 70 yards thick. That's a pretty thick wall. I think this room was only about 30, 35 feet wide. (laughs) Double that. That's how sure the walls of heaven are that the angel used and measured it. And look at this. The walls and the foundations are made up of what? Now, is this cool? Can you imagine going home today and say, "Uh, honey, I just put the hammer through the wall, and a Our walls aren't made of sheetrock. Our walls are made of gems. Look at this. The wall was made of jasper in the city of pure gold. The gold is as pure as glass. I don't know if it's true or not. I know a a guy who was a a ball-bearing expert. He lived in Big Bear for a while. My wife and I knew Stu and Ruth very well. And if there is any mechanical failure of any engine for the government... Stu would receive the ball bearings and investigate what happened in the accident and send in a report. Brilliant man. He used to talk about ball bearings and I would be lost after his first sentence. Years ago, we rushed Stu to the hospital in the middle of the night and Ruth was concerned we were gonna lose him and they pronounced him dead. And I know there's lots of controversy about what people say about life after death and things like that. And I, I, I don't... I don't know. I'm going to trust what the scripture says. But Stu came back, and with tears streaming down his eyes, I saw him in the ICU. He said, Pastor, I wonder if I saw heaven. I said, Why do you say that? He said, The the, the, the streets are clearer than you can imagine, and there's engravings on them that sparkle. Because I don't know if I saw it. And I thought, Curious. But John said, That's what they look like. And the foundation of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. How would you like to go into your house today and you've got valuable gems all over your wall? be like, check out my house, huh? The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, fifth sardonyx, I guess you pronounce it, sixth carnelian, seventh chrysolite, eighth beryl, ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophras, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. Now, You may say, why do we have all that? I don't have time to deal with it today, but I want to always challenge you what I do. If you see something in the Bible that you don't understand, what do you do? You look for where else it is in Scripture, and you'll find all of these gems on the ephod of the high priest. But they're in a different order. Ask yourself, why are they in a different order? And then email me, we'll talk. How's that? The 12 gates were 12 pearls. The gates are massive. And each gate was made of what, ladies? A single. You could not wear this around your neck or on your hand. Mass, the whole and the gate was an entryway made of one pearl. And the streets are made of what? Pure gold. Hear about the guy that died, but he, before he died, he packed a suitcase with all of his investments and he had it transferred into gold bricks. And he gripped the suitcase as he died, and it just so happened that he went to heaven, he still had the suitcase in his hand. And he saw his loved ones and relatives, and he said, look what I brought. He opened the suitcase, and there's bricks of gold. And they looked at him, and they said, why'd you bother bringing pavement? (laughs) It's gonna be gorgeous, gang. It's gonna be gorgeous. And the great thing about gold is uh, no potholes. (laughs) Snapshot 10 before we wrap it up. Here's one of the best snapshots. The Lord is everywhere. You know why I love this? Because never will anyone ever again feel alone. It says it here when he said, "I didn't see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple, its dwelling." And the eleventh one before I want to wrap it up. What consecration is? There's no more what? What's night for? Yeah, because we're exhausted will never tire. What else is night for? Evil deeds, theft, robbery, scary things. No more night. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light. And the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light. The kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. And, and the gates will never shut. Why? They would shut the gates back in biblical days to protect from wild animals and thieves, which means we'll come in and out. The kings of the earth are gonna bring their glory in. I'm not quite sure how that works, but we'll talk more about that later. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Now, only one more verse, but let's talk about this. So there's 11 quick snapshots of what to look forward in heaven. I hope you'll study those more on your own. But part three of what is heaven like will be next week out of Revelation 22 but I want to go back to the first thing we talked about because everything in heaven is beautiful and consecrated to God. And I want you to think about consecration. And keep this in mind, please, because before Israel in the Old Testament ever received the Ten Commandments, which the first time they're listed is Exodus 20, the second time, Deuteronomy 5, as we've reviewed. But before God ever gave him commands, look what he asked for. Before he ever gave a command, look what he said in Exodus 13. What's he say? Consecrate what? To me, every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether man or animal. What's consecration mean? It's a fancy term we often use in the church that really means to make holy. It means to dedicate, to separate for a very special purpose or a very special reason. In Exodus 19, even before they got the commandments in Exodus 20. The Lord God said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day because on that day the Lord's going to show up. And the church should be getting ready for the Lord to show up. What's it mean to consecrate something? And is consecration important, spiritually speaking? Yes, it is. We all consecrate things today. Some of you probably have gorgeous china plates and cups that you set in a special cabinet just for a family dinner. Some of us guys, we've consecrated the man cave for our team and sports heroes. I want to show you a couple of consecrated items I have here. This is one of my favorites. This is a, what's called the Wilson Evolution Leather Composite Basketball. You can only use it if I let you. It is the indoor game ball for a lot of high school and college basketball games, the very model. My family bought it for me. I've never dribbled it outside because I don't want outside courts messing it up. It has a beautiful leather grip and feel to it. I just have consecrated this ball. And has a special place where I keep it in my truck. It stays right behind my driver's seat. All week long, right, rolling, play ball, waiting for Saturdays when we get together. And yesterday we were done playing ball. I said, where's my ball? (laughs) Didn't want anyone taking it. And it goes right back into a special place. I have consecrated this. Deanna knows how in my heart I've consecrated this, this game called basketball, right, Deanna? Sometimes she can't stand to watch me watch basketball on TV. Because I praise my team and I use other theological terminology when the game doesn't go my way. (laughs) I have another consecrated ball that somebody gave me years ago and I put it in a special holder, has a special stand on it. It is a 1975 World Series baseball signed by Joe DiMaggio. I don't even know what it's worth. And no, you can't have it. And many of you have been in my office and you see where it sits with some other signed baseballs and golf balls and basketballs that I have there. And it's got its own special place and I guard it and I keep it just for some special things. We all consecrate stuff. We consecrate money for retirement, don't we? We set it aside and we protect it and we try to ensure it and we only use it for one special thing. Some of you have a consecrated job that you live for Sometimes we consecrate addictions. There are things we keep in our heart that we set aside that we think we have to have and we think we have to keep. Some of us have a a TV or a cell phone or a laptop that's consecrated for our own use. These items are set apart for one specific purpose of use that nobody else has the right to. And gang, you may say, well, how do I know what I have in my life that's consecrated? Think about this with me for a moment, because we're we're made to consecrate things. Consider your habits and your lifestyles. What is it in your life that maybe tends to draw you away from intimacy with Jesus Christ? Is it drinking? Is it immoral sexuality? Is it the love of money taking you back to that eagle on the ice? What might the claws of your life be dug into today that could float you away from being consecrated or made special for the Lord? If no one's ever told you, you are beautifully and wonderfully made for a purpose, and that was to be consecrated for the sake of Jesus. You are a temple whereby God wants to dwell. And he wants you with him in heaven. But what habits or lifestyle or consecrated items might you be holding on to? Billy Graham died a few years ago, and Reverend Jim Dennison in his weekly forum wrote this recently. talking about Billy Graham's life and how God used him so mightily. Billy Graham's lifelong passion for personal godliness encompassed every dimension of his life including his well-known refusal to meet alone with women who were not his wife. Early in their ministry, his team made an accountable commitment to each other regarding personal morality, the handling of finances, and relationships with media and outside groups. Billy Graham years ago said, my life is consecrated. It's set apart as a special place for Jesus. What may be taking that place in your life today. We all struggle with it. I mean, the reason I brought out the basketball and the baseball kind of joke about it, but I know sometimes my heart tends to go that way instead of seeking his kingdom. You may say, well, if I give up my habits or longings, I'll, I'll, I'll lose myself. I, I just won't be me or I won't know happiness or I won't have what I really want to grip. Jesus said, whoever finds his or her life will lose it but whoever loses their life for my sake, what? See, because remember I said two weeks ago in heaven, there's no grumbling or complaining. There's no one shows up and goes, "Oh, this place isn't very good. This place is boring. Why are they here? The praise and gratitude just explode. And look what John wrote before he wrote the book of Revelation. Isn't it interesting, God gave him this verse before he gave him Revelation. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be two things. What is it, church? Say the first one confident. And what's the next one? Before him. Are we men, guys, that could be unashamed before him at his coming? Are we willing to get accountable with other guys if we need it? See, consecrated doesn't mean you know God or who he is. A lot of people go to church and, and they won't consecrate their lives to Christ. Demons and evil spirits knew who Jesus was. In Luke 4, it said demons came out of many people and what they shout about Jesus, you are the son of God. They knew it. James says, "You believe there's one God good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. Being consecrated is not sitting in a church saying, "I, I know who God is." Because I remember when I wanted to go home when the, my last summer after I graduated from Judson College, and the school I don't know if you two know the story school offered me a summer job. I wanted to go home to upstate New York. They wanted me to stay in the Midwest. They said, We want you to go out and be a representative of Judson to schools, churches, and homes all summer long. We'll pay your way. We'll have you go. I wanted to go back to upstate New York and be with mommy and daddy and friends. And I asked my parents, What should I do? They heard about the job. Dad said, Well, grab a sheet of paper and draw a line down the center, put pro on one side, con on the other, and just write down what you should do. You'll make the right decision, son. And they hung up. I slammed the phone down. I was so mad. Because God was saying, consecrate your life to me. Let me work through you what I want to do. And I want my way. I want to consecrate my life to me. My life's special to me. Not to you, God. I'll lose myself. That whole Saturday, I was a wreck at Judson. Walked around like I was baptized in lemon juice. Mm, <laughs> Sunday, went to church. I was miserable. Didn't want to sing songs. Sat in church like this. Finally, Sunday night, the Holy Spirit said, I thought, you said, you wanted me. I said, all right, Lord, I'll give up my summer, my last summer before seminary. And that Monday, I went to the administration building, and Dave sat me down. He said, didn't you tell me you had a job back home you could go to? I said, yeah, why? He goes, the finance team of Judson sat down this weekend. We realized this summer, we don't have the funds to send out students. Is it okay if you go back home? I left that building and I was whispering the hymn, Great is thy faithfulness. And the Holy Spirit whispered to me, Just wanted to see what you're consecrated towards. What's a good step? I think a great step of consecration is first say, I'm going to abide or dwell or walk with Jesus. I don't want to just know I'm forgiven and going to heaven. I want to walk with him. Jesus said, If anyone will come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross, how often? See, I want to challenge you to consecrate yourself to Jesus tomorrow, daily. Paul said, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living. Have you given your body to Jesus Christ? Offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to what? It's your spiritual act of worship. Why do we got to do it daily? Why do we got to be a living sacrifice daily? Someone once said that uh, the problem with a a living sacrifice is it keeps crawling off of the altar, (laughs) crawling away from God. But one of Jesus' great principles is what Samuel said. God declared, I promise you to Eli, the priest, your house and your father's house would minister before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. Look at this. Those who honor me, I'll honor. You honor God. He'll do stuff in your life you won't believe. Because you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a what? Holy nation. A people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Because, gang, the first thing he doesn't want is you to be forgiven and made Holy. He never wants you to understand that God can forgive you no matter how great a sinner you are, and he can That's the first thing he wants. But the last thing Satan doesn't want is for you to live consecrated. He wants to keep you from being saved, but if he gets you saved, then he wants to go, "But you can't be, you can't live holy. you can't abide with Christ. You can't give up those things. He's a liar. Do you abide with Jesus? Because we will in heaven. And here's the reason you want to know you're consecrated to the Lord. Last verse and we're done. Here we go. Last verse. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what's shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written again. Where? The lambs. You go, well, I've been shameful. I've been deceitful. I've been impure. What do I do? You go to your holy God and confess it. Because if we confess our sins, say, church, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse or purify us from all unrighteousness. Consecrated is to be like heaven, to be ready. And as you walk consecrated, uh, may the Lord bless you and he'll keep you. And as you walk consecrated, may the Lord cause his face to shine upon you, to be gracious unto you. And as you walk consecrated, may Almighty God grant you what? His peace. God bless you, church. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed our podcast, you can subscribe and share with your friends. To support our ministry, go and click the link in the description to give online. To connect with us, to know more about who we are, or if you have a prayer request, Go to our website at TempleCityBaptist.org. We would love to hear from you. May God bless you. See you next week.